This is For the Sake of, a podcast by the Society of the Sacred Heart in the United States and Canada. It's about faith, life, and what it all means. I'm your host, Sister Kim King. With this episode, we conclude our three-part series with members of the Society of the Sacred Heart, United States, Canada Provinces, Anti-Racism Committee. My conversation today is with Sister Suzanne Cook. Suzanne is an alumna of Elmhurst School of the Sacred Heart, former head of school at Forest Ridge, the Sacred Heart School in Seattle, Washington, and former head at Carrollton School of the Sacred Heart in Miami, Florida. Currently, Suzanne serves as head of the Conference of Sacred Heart Education. As a religious and as an educator, she shares her insights on why the work of anti-racism is a non-negotiable and how the society's mission has and continues to illuminate our path forward. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Suzanne Cook, to For the Sake of. Thank you, Kim. It's wonderful to be here. So you are a religious of the Sacred Heart living in the United States, Canada province, and you're also the head of the Conference of Sacred Heart Education. I wonder if you could give us sort of the elevator version of what it is that that means to be the head of the conference. Head of conference is a relatively new role for our network of Sacred Heart schools in the United States and Canada. I am the first person to serve in this role. The creation of both the conference and the role of head of conference occurred after a four or five year period of study. And what were we asking ourselves and who were the we? So it was the heads of the schools, the chairs of the board, and the provincial team. And what we were after was how do we complement the strength of having the goals and criteria, this articulation of the mission of Sacred Heart Education with the accountability process that we call Chicago or the Sacred Heart Commission on Goals process. How do we take all of that and learn from it in such a way that school leaders and all the educators can deepen their understanding of mission and therefore implement it even more effectively? And what we realized was there was, there was an attraction to having a kind of think tank on mission that would include accountability for mission or Chicago, education to mission, and governance for mission. Now, when we talk about mission and goals and criteria, why is that important? In the goals and criteria, the Society of the Sacred Heart defines the mission of the schools, so each of the schools, as part of the society's educational mission in the Catholic Church. So what is the mission of the society? Well, we know it's to make God's love uh, uh, known, to communicate God's love in the heart of reality. For Sophie, the means to communicate God's love was education. Education is not an end unto itself. It's a means. So in the goals and criteria, we articulate this mission 
goals being timeless principles, criteria being indicators, markers of the timely needs schools have. And each school is accountable to the Society of the Sacred Heart through the Commission on Goals process for living the goals and criteria. So the head of conference facilitates this ongoing conversation and reflection on mission with the hope that uh, by educating and creating new resources through committees, so the Education to Mission Committee or the Governance Committee, creating resources for boards of trustees, for heads of schools, for chairs of the board, for leadership team, and for educators, that we are all growing in not simply our commitment to this shared mission and vision of education, but we are deepening our understanding of it and making it even more vital than it already is. And there are 24, soon to be 25, schools? That's right, 24 schools of the Sacred Heart in the United States and Canada, and we have a provisional, which would be the 25th school, so two in Canada, currently 22 in the United States, and hopefully by the end of the spring, we'll have 25 altogether. Very cool. I've also heard you refer to these schools as schools of Christ's heart. And we are religious of the Sacred Heart. So what we are about as members of this province and as an international community of religious, in some ways, the schools are also about in their own way. Absolutely. So really, it, in the schools, we have an expression of the society's mission to make known God's love in the heart of reality. It is a very concrete way for the Society of the Sacred Heart to offer to the people of God this service of education within the Catholic Church. And that mission is articulated in the goals and criteria. Okay. And so part of what we as a province have been working on, part of our current mission, if you will, is the work and the practice of anti-racism. And so if we as a province are about this, and the schools are also about similar calls, how do you see that anti-racism work making itself manifest in the schools? There are many ways that this is occurring. So first, let's talk a little bit about St. Madeline Sophie and her charism. Okay. Because it's a very important foundation uh, to the work that we're engaged in, in fostering communities of justice, which is what the way we talk about the work of diversity, inclusion, and equity in our schools. So we know as religious of the Sacred Heart and associates of the Sacred Heart, alumni and alumni of the Sacred Heart, educators of the Sacred Heart. And I hope those um, families that have partnered with us by uh, entrusting their children to the various schools, we know that Sophie's experience of the depth of Christ's compassion for all compelled her, inspired her to want to share that truth with others. Now, the means by which she shared this truth of God's love, the image of the Sacred Heart, because you're 
your reference to, sometimes I refer to the schools as the schools of Christ's heart. That image of the sacred heart is a very powerful image for Sophie as it is for us today. And why? Because it is in and through that image of the sacred heart that that image captures both Christ's humanity and Christ's urgency to respond to the depths of people's suffering. So whether I believe in Christ, and certainly many of our schools, all of our schools, uh, welcome children and young people of all faiths as a Catholic school, that is our commitment to welcome all, I can come to know Christ, whether I believe in Christ, by being in a Sacred Heart school through the study of scripture, through the experience of the ambiance or the atmosphere of the school, and I discover the uh, attitudes of Christ's heart. And as St. Madeline Sophie wrote in, you know, many of her 14,000 letters, let us go to the school of Christ's heart for guidance. So we still believe that. Now, we don't use that language. We talk about the attitudes of Christ's heart. So Sophie's hope was that for all, all people, all children, all young people, all educators would grasp fully the experience of being loved by God, however we imagine or think God is. And she believed that by drawing from this experience of being loved, that we would become the courageous, confident people God counts on us to be. So that's the backdrop or the foundation. So the, these past two years, all the school communities of the Sacred Heart in both countries and all the communities of the religious of the Sacred Heart in both countries engaged in a process to revision, not revise, revision the goals and criteria. The goals are timeless principles of Sacred Heart education directly inspired by Sophie's vision, and the criteria are the indicators or the markers of how the goals can be lived. And you will notice a great insight from all of us that I echoes, I think, something that Martin Luther King said when he spoke about his vision for the beloved community. In order to create a beloved community, which is certainly what Christ is calling us to do when he speaks about building the kingdom, this is our goal as schools of the Sacred Heart, and it requires a qualitative change in our souls as well as a quantitative change in our lives. So, what does that mean? It definitely means that if we believe that each is made in the image and likeness of God, which we do, and which is a principle that has always undergirded Sacred Heart and Catholic education. But for the first time, we've, had, we've named it to remind all of us of that. If we believe that, then all are called to respect the dignity of everyone else. All are called to this relational ethos that creates a sense of inclusion and welcoming. It's not just to be included. It is to be welcomed. And so the work for anti-racism for us is to identify what in me creates implicit bias or an inclination to other a person. And if I can come to understand that, whether I'm a 16-year-old or, I don't know, a 45-year-old educator, I and we can construct communities, we can build communities that foster justice, that are characterized by the heart, the attitudes of Christ's heart. And I think that's what the 2020 goals and criteria are really calling us to, but they always did. This is not new. 
it's seen with a refreshed lens. It's seen, perhaps some would say more deeply, but I say that the last two years during which we were engaged in that process of revisioning was a period of time that transformed the world. Are there particular phrases or maybe criterion that appear in this 2020 version that speak to the changing reality of our world that maybe make more explicit things that were implicit before? Definitely. And um, I hope that this conversation that we're having will encourage people to read and reflect on the goals and criteria. But the notion of, uh, I've already mentioned the attitudes of the heart of Jesus, such as gratitude, generosity, compassion, and forgiveness, Mm -hmm. that school communities create an ethos of joy and hope and celebration. And through the programs assert there is meaning and value in life, that a school welcomes and respects persons of all faiths and educates to an understanding of religions and spiritual traditions. I think that in that goal one, which is to educate to a personal and act of faith in God, the references to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, to being rooted in the love of Christ. While we referred to this before, I think now we see that as Sophie was inspired by the Spirit dwelling within her to act, we are too. I think in terms of the other interesting, perhaps new criteria or rephrased criteria, Mm -hmm. the notion of a global mindset, how does one develop a global mindset if one is not also developing the capacity to listen, to understand, to really be open to difference? In goal three, For the first time, we have a sentence like this, Sacred Heart educators prepare students to serve the common good in an interdependent world. Hmm. Common good. That was a concept. I'm an alumna of the Sacred Heart. When I was a girl in school, believing in the common good was a given. Being reminded of the call to serve the common good is essential now. I think you'll see for the first time a call out to Catholic social teaching. Why? Because Jesus's compassion was articulated in such teachings by Jesus as the Beatitudes, by the commandment to love one another, by the parables like the Good Samaritan. Catholics, the principles of Catholic social teaching simply build on these insights and statements and actions that we see Christ engaged in the scripture. And inspired by him, by Christ, and rooted in the principles of Catholic social teaching, then we will construct a world that is characterized by justice and characterized by a sense that all are members. There's much more about accountability for these We've always held ourselves accountable for these principles, but now we speak about, for example, all members of the school community accept accountability for the care of God's creation. Hmm. Well, part of God's creation is God's people. For sure. 
And goal four, this is this is one that I really think I never thought I'd see a Catholic Sacred Heart School have to enunciate this, but I think this is perhaps not the most compelling, but a sign of the seriousness with which we take this work of constructing communities where all are welcomed. And the criterion is under goal four, which is schools of the Sacred Heart commit themselves to educate to the building of community as a Christian value. And the criterion states the school affirming that all are created in the image and likeness of God, promotes the inherent dignity of the human person, and strives for relationships characterized by inclusion and mutual respect. So you can certainly hear echoes of Sophie's vision in in this more contemporary way of articulating these principles, Mm. but I think they make it very clear the call to act for justice And one way of doing that is to fight racism. One of the characteristics of the society that I read about before I entered that captured my attention and imagination was that the society was both wholly contemplative and wholly apostolic. That idea of the balance between the cultivation of a life of prayer and reflection and contemplation and a life of action. How do you see that intertwining happening at a school for the service of this enormous mission that we have to cultivate those communities of justice? How do those two pieces fit into the schools? See, Madeline Sophie believed that To experience being God's beloved is the right of every human being. And while different religious traditions express that in different ways, our schools reflect her belief that if one remembers that the spirit dwells within our core, you know, we would have said in the old days, soul, I think I'm attracted to Martin Luther King's comment about the need for a qualitative change in our souls in order to construct the beloved community, because I think we've lost sight of the soul is the very core of who I am as a person. And the objective of Sacred Heart Education is to enable each person to come to understand uh, and use her intellect or his intellect so that mind, heart, and will can be aligned. In order to do that, you have to develop your interiority or your inner space. And we know that this is a huge cry uh, in contemporary life. So what does that have to do with the work of anti-racism? When I firmly take the time, create the space in my consciousness and in my day-to-day existence to attune and be attentive to the spirit dwelling within, I begin to understand myself as, uh, as the Cardinal of Houston has recently written, the icon of God. 
Now, with that comes tremendous responsibility. Because if that's my natural birthright as a human being, it's everyone, every human being's natural birthright. Hmm. So I, I am compelled, impelled, inspired, motivated, driven to respect the human dignity of others. Hmm. Now, for me, I think I saw something, as all of us did when we watched George Floyd be murdered. After months of isolation, after months of helping schools and leaders of schools navigate the confusion and uncertainty of COVID, watching, and you know, it, it wasn't just watching it, but it was watching that there were people there that were watching and participating by witnessing. So I felt as if I was a witness. And that caused, whether you want to call it an epiphany or you want to call it a conversion or my St. Paul's moment, I don't know how to tell you about this, but I reflect on it a lot. And what I realize is that the actual visual response affected my interiority. So if, if we see prayer, as Mother Stewart said, as aspiration, you breathe in and you breathe out. I was breathing in this violent oh, death of someone, murder of someone. And what did I breathe out? I breathed out, I've got to do something. Well, what can I do? Hmm. I have to address my own inclination to other people. How do I go about doing that? Without prayer, I can't engage in racial reconciliation because I, I don't bring the humility that, that Sophie would, would speak about. I don't bring an understanding that I am in relationship with both God and humanity, the, the people whom God has created. So I have to be attentive to the spirit dwelling within. I have to, be, I have to take the time to hear what is Christ calling us to? as religious of the sacred heart, but me, first of all, what is Christ calling me to? And then how do I, if we believe that we're one body, what actions can I take? And with whom can I take those actions in a very concrete, realistic, and simple way, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that is going to result in this qualitative change in my soul, our soul, so that we create communities uh, that foster justice. It's it's interesting when I hear you talk about the the icon of God in each person being the icon of God, and how that notion calls us to greater inclusion of everyone. It also opens up our image of God, and that. If we hold on to that mind-expanding, soul-expanding, heart-expanding notion of God being bigger than any boundary, bigger than any category, and I look at anyone around me as an icon of that truth and that reality, I would want to be a part of that. 
Of course. And where I think as religious of the Sacred Heart, our intimate relationship with Christ is very important, is Christ suffered. Mm. You know, our perspective is from the pierced heart of Christ. I mean, how do you even describe the profound suffering that racism causes people, uh, imposes on people, and, and the desecration of their dignity? So once you, you comprehend that, of course you're compelled to work against racism on a personal level, implicit bias or the sin of othering, on a, on a systems level to try to figure out where does it exist? And how do we engage in this anti-racism work in a way that is respectful of people's human dignity? So I'm calling myself to account. I believe in reconciliation so I can, I can seek forgiveness, but only if I have contrition, only if I have the resolution to, to not do this anymore. Mm. So I, I have it and I want to be someone who's respectful of all people and inclusive of all people, but I, I fail. So when I fail, what do I do? Again, without the interior life, without prayer, without a, con- uh, a sense of community, how can I do this work? Mm. I can't. I can't do it by myself. I, I don't know how else you build the beloved community unless it's together. Sure. And an icon is not like the whole icon is not simply one facet of it. If I am an icon of God, I need other bits to complete this image. Mm -hmm. You know, that's interesting. You say that because one of the um, challenging work for us in our schools, and I believe in our province has been to grapple with the complexity of St. Rose Philippine Duchenne. Mm. How could someone whom we knew, admired, we wouldn't be here if she hadn't chosen to embrace a very challenging, amazing voyage across the sea and a harrowing experience of frontier life? And someone who, during the 10 years between convents being closed because of the French Revolution and then the opening of convents and schools in the early years of Napoleon. So in those 10 years, what did Philippine do? She moved to Grenoble against her family's wishes. She worked directly with people on the margins, particularly boys living in the streets. So how could somebody who would who write to her family and say, leave me alone, I see Christ in these people, how could that person have anything to do with enslaving human beings? It's, 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 it's almost, I mean, it's on some level beyond comprehension, and yet it happened. So why is it important to do this work of history, what we have called in our schools, claiming our past and the complexity of Philippine? It's because we can learn something. We can study how did this happen? What were the factors? What influenced? I, I would call them influencers. Um, it's not to get anybody off the hook. It's to say, this is part of who we are. This is our history. So how can we understand our history so that as we look forward, we construct a different future? Mm. We are not controlled by our past, but to ignore our past is, is, is to run the risk and and. John Lewis wrote this in that famous letter in the New York Times, where the truth has been with us, 
So why is it that we have to keep going around and around and around? Because sometimes we, we don't get it. We're not seeing the clues in history. So I think this has been very important work and very valuable work. Uh, and it's very painful work. But I think it offers, for those of us who believe that the perspective is from the pierced heart of Christ, it offers a way for us to build towards the resurrection or Easter or hope. Mm. And so therefore, it's worth it. What do you hope are the clues that are being left now in this current time for future generations to find? Oh, uh, we're not listening to each other. We have forgotten, or we are, at least many of us seem to have forgotten, that listening begins in silence. Listening begins with an absolute sacred commitment and belief that if I must know what you're saying and thinking in order to understand you, and in fact, you, what you're thinking and what you're saying is a gift to me. I, I will be a better person if I can just understand you. But we're not listening to each other that way. And part of that is another thing that I hope we figure out a way to stop is that we have labeled each other. And we are reduced to that label. And once I'm reduced to a label, where is the invitation for me to change, for me to experience contrition for me to to work for reconciliation. So um, now what I hope for and what I think is positive and what I hope we keep thinking about, I think just the um, publication of the 2020 Goals and Criteria is a huge sign of hope for me to take 24 months to prayerfully and thoughtfully really push ourselves to say, what kind of future is emerging that we can already touch, even if we don't totally see it? And how do we create a vision so that we prepare students for their future as opposed to ours, so that they can be effective, compassionate people building a world characterized by the attitudes of Christ's heart? I found the process, and I'm finding the conversations that are going on right now very hope-filled, very challenging, and very hope-filled. Hmm. They're challenging, uh, challenging things to do, to listen, and to not label. When you were th speaking, I also thought about how we need to broaden the way that we look at people not only rise above a label or a limitation imposed, but to stop imposing the label and the limitation, to not be the one that does that to somebody else. Yes, to see, to see our common humanity, to see our dignity as human beings is what unites us. Mm. I do think Pope Francis is calling us to see our humanhood, mm. you know, sisterhood, brotherhood, but our humanhood, um, because that's what's going to inspire us and encourage us and sustain us as we go through this very challenging period of time as we try to revision how we want to live, not just in the United States or in Canada, but in the world. And how do we do it 
uh, in a way that's realistic. So I have to do it in my immediate surrounding. Hmm. That's what those criteria are calling for. They're giving some indicators as to what are some of the attitudes and skills that we need to develop. Now, if, if we adults or educators are saying, well, this is what we're going to accompany the students in such a way that they'll develop it, well, we have to have it ourselves. We cannot teach what we do not embody. That's why I think the reclaiming of espacio, this time in silence in each of the schools, five minutes of silence, not, not just silence, just create the space to... Learn to listen. And the uh, reclaiming of the practice of the examine, which is an ancient practice in the church, to pause and to consider the impact of my actions, my words, my attitudes. If people were to, to develop that habit, the daily habit of both those things, espacio and examine, I think that's hopeful. And we're, we're recently talking about something we're calling the Sacred Heart Way. And what is the Sacred Heart Way? The Sacred Heart Way, and it was coined by an alumna uh, who was working on the conference, and we were writing our first book, and we were talking about decision-making and discernment that Sacred Heart leaders, particularly trustees, need to be practitioners of discernment. And so we were discussing this, and, and this alumna said, hey, you know the sacred art way. You pause. You reflect. You discern. You decide. You act. That is the way Sophie lived. Pausing, stopping, reflecting, which is different from praying, but reflecting. Why and how? What are we about? What do we hope for? Where, where are we going? And then discerning. What? Is Christ calling us? Where is the spirit in this action that we're considering? And then deciding, you know, a firm resolution. And then acting. That would be a wonderful thing if we could practice that. Oh, wouldn't it though? Wouldn't it though? And I think it, it would lead, can lead hopefully does lead to acknowledging um, that common humanity mm -hmm. that we have. This Sacred Heart way that you were just outlining with pausing, reflecting, discerning, deciding, acting, and the reference that you had made to Pope Francis earlier it, it all brings to mind a call from the chapter of 2016, the general chapter for the society, to live more humanly. And how much I, I was personally very attracted to that. Because to live in the fullness of our humanity is to live with the divinity as well. That we each... Uh, have and bring, which invites us to look at each other that way, and that pausing, reflecting, discerning, deciding, acting, and actively choosing to call one another to that and to act out of that. That's exactly what I think at the chapter of 
2016 and a chapter being, as you know, an international gathering of delegates from the Society of the Sacred Heart. It's a governing, it's the highest governing body of the society and it's a direction setting body. It's a, it's a very important moment in the life of the society. And I think that we had spent a great deal of time exploring our understanding of Jesus Christ and understanding as religious of the sacred heart. What, what, what does that mean? And the insight that, that we are called to live as Jesus more humanly is and what was and is an invitation, yes, to in, to understand the humanity of Christ and through that understand Christ's divinity, that we are called to holiness. We are really called to one day enjoy heaven. When I think about that call to live more humanly and what the way you were describing it, Kim, I want to be sure that everyone understands that I believe, and I think we all know this, that the work of anti-racism is very difficult. Kind of wonder some days, why would it be so hard when we all want to honor each other's humanity? We, we want, I think, to grow and live more humanly as Jesus did. And yet, we keep tripping up, tripping over our selves and or I trip over myself. And I, I do think the Artisans of Hope is a very important document to all of us and is in the spirit of Sophie and Philippine, Mother Stewart, all those people who've gone before us, because it's really calling us to examine what causes structural issues like racism. And it's this whole question of power, yes, but how do I engage in living in such a way that I, I, I'm living in a manner that it's not only balanced, but allows everyone's voice to be there? Mm. And, and how do we do that and do it with direction? From whence comes our direction? Well, I think for us, it comes from the constitutions um, and this very simple call. It's a very simple mission, isn't it? To communicate the love of God in the heart of reality. But living it is not that simple. Mm. Saying it is simple. Yes. So it means making sure that the ethos of relationships, uh, I understand as Sophie did, and I live as Sophie did, that it's through these relationships that God's love is communicated, and I receive God's love. So how I am with others, that, that, that's the means by which... I experience being God's beloved. Now, I also experience it in prayer and this breathing in, breathing out, being contemplative, being active allows for the fullness of this. But if we study Jesus's life, sometime the sheer pain of trying to bring about the kingdom caused him to flee to the desert. He's like, whoa, what is going on here? So, so prayer is, I, I think we should flee sometimes to, to regroup. But I think as religious of the sacred heart, when we regroup, we are, we are bounced back, you know, mm. inspired to go back and be engaged with God's creation, God's people, the earth, and trying to bring about 
everyone's knowledge and experience of God is in love with us. And what what you just said with everyone's knowledge and that idea of the question of how am I with each other, I think let's my imagination run to uh, a kindergarten student on the playground. It lets me run to a teacher, my imagination run to a teacher with her students. It allows me to think of myself in my ministry here and how I am with someone who comes to the door of an alum who works in the pharmaceutical industry who is doing the chemistry behind different drugs. How am I with people? How am I with God? How am I with humanity? And that these are the questions and the habits that get cultivated in one of our schools. And those questions call us, I hope and believe, to that work of anti-racism, of, of inclusion. Mm-hmm. And a, an absolute commitment not to tolerate structures that prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. How do we listen in such a fashion that we see, see the humanity and try to figure out how do we go forward? How do we go forward? How do we help young people see hope in going forward? And if you study Lisa Miller's work, The Spiritual Child, we know that the spiritual imagination of children is a very important way that they come to claim who they are as human beings. And yet the, the most recent statistics on disaffiliation is that those choices are made when people are around 11. Hmm. What's going on? Because I think when we become disconnected from transcendence or from the divine, it's easier to dehumanize other people. I think when we listen to who, who are the people we often quote when we're doing this work, they're often people who were either preachers or faith leaders who had an insight about the fragility of humanity and the desire for God that humanity thrive. I think God loves us. I think God wants us to thrive as human beings. So, so it's, a, it, it's just... Very challenging. But it's very necessary to do this work. Mm. Yes, it is. It's necessary from the youngest age until the very oldest. Mm-hmm. Necessary and good work that gets in sin, as John Lewis said good trouble along the way. Exactly. As we work toward that, those communities of justice and toward that beloved community. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Suzanne, for this conversation we've been able to have today. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been, it's been a wonderful experience. Thank you.
A special thanks to Suzanne. And a big thank you to you, our listeners, for your support of this podcast. For more information on Sacred Heart Education and the network of Sacred Heart Schools, we invite you to visit sacredheartusc.education. Also, we invite you to tune in to our next episode as we close out Season 2 with an engaging conversation with Jesuit Father James Martin. I'm your host, Kim King, and this has been For the Sake of. You can subscribe to For the Sake of on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For the Sake of is a production of the Society of the Sacred Heart, United States, Canada Province, supported by the Formation to Mission Committee. It's produced and directed by Aaron Everson, music written and produced by Eliza Lynn, Colleen Doley is our production consultant. This show was mixed and edited by Noah Levinson. For more conversations on faith, life, and what it all means, visit rscj.org slash for the sake of.